Our message for this week is entitled The Pandemic of Perversion. The Pandemic of Perversion. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. I thank you, Father God, that you are keeping us safe. And Father God, you are giving us time with you. Lord, we are going to broach some heavy subjects and topics tonight. So I need to ask in a special way, Lord, that you just pour out your Holy Spirit, that you remove the mental roadblocks and the spiritual hazards from off of our minds. Lord, let us hear your word and your truth. Father God, I pray once again that I be not seen nor heard, but instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. Is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So we're going to go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And again, every message in this series has to do with different pandemics and pestilences um, that struck the people of God at different times throughout biblical history. In Numbers chapter 21, uh, and starting at verse 32, we find that the children of Israel have just recently fled Egypt in a mighty manner. Ten plagues fell, and of course, the last one was a deadly blow uh, that caused Pharaoh to finally let God's people go. The move from there was swift, and within just a few weeks, they would have been where we find them in this story. In Numbers 21, verse 32, it says, And Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took the villages thereof and drove out the Amorites that were there. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan and Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people to the battle of Edri. And the Lord said unto Moses, fear him not, for I have delivered him into your hand and all his people and his land. And thou shalt do to him as thou didst to Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dealt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive and they possessed his land. As they come out of Egypt, out of the great victory of defeating the world's superpower at the time, they now begin to embark in taking the lands that God has promised them. One by one, the tribes begin to fall and, and the greatness and the name of Jehovah is beginning to be proclaimed among the pagans. In Numbers chapter 22, and verse one, it says, and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. When Balak went up to the top of the mountainside perch, where his palace was and looked down at the children of Israel, he saw this vast multitude of organized former slaves marching. He'd heard the stories of how their God had brought Pharaoh down to nothing and liberated them from Egyptian slavery. Then he heard the stories of how they were beating each of the tribes as they moved towards the Jordan. And as they were on this side, the Bible says of Jordan, uh, he began to fret and his whole nation began to panic. So what does Balak do? You know the story of Balak and Balaam. He calls for a false prophet to curse Israel. And so he brings them out. And you know, this. remember the story about uh, Balaam and the donkey 
Um, and this is a Balaam is a squirrely prophet. In fact, I would argue he is the type of prophet that is very prevalent in the world today. On the one hand, he talks as if he serves God, but he's the person they call when they want to curse somebody. And so here is Balaam, and you remember the story when he was, uh, after he disobeyed God and was going to go to do what Balak said, and the donkey was sitting on his donkey, and, and the donkey wouldn't go, and he started treating the donkey bad, and the donkey starts to talk. Let me tell you something, that, that would have been a crazy thing. And, and his eyes are open, and Balak is even able to see the angel of God, yet with all that, he still rises up against the people of God. So Balak gets him to kind of agree to, to curse God's people. In Numbers 23 and verse 20, after he tries to curse God's people, the Bible says, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. And there's a whole lot to this. There are three different times when Balak tries to curse the people of God. And there's a lot of lessons in this. I don't have time to get into all of them, but I'll pull out just Numbers 23, verse 20 and 21. And this, and this is rich with meaning. Balaam says, listen, Balak, I know you want me to curse them, but when I talk to God, he says, in fact, they cannot be cursed. The commandment from God on his people is they must be blessed. And, and the false prophet Balaam says, I can't reverse it. If you're going through something right now and you're wondering if God is with you, I want you to hear the words of the false prophet as he speaks the truth of the protection that God has on his people. He says, I can't curse them. I can only bless them. Even if I try to curse them, only blessings will go their way. Why can I only bless them? I want you to get verse 21. This is an important passage of scripture, especially relevant in the time we're living in now. Verse 21 says, God, he, God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. In other words, they are living uprightly. They've come out of paganism and Egyptian slavery. And when they saw the hand of God move, there was a purging and a purifying. They've come to, they've been worshiping God in the wilderness, in the desert. They had been keeping the Sabbath again now. And, and now sin was falling off. They had begun to gain loyalty to God. Uh, Balaam says, listen, Balak, I'm sorry, but God does not see iniquity in Jacob. But look at the next part of that sentence. He says, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. He says, in fact, there's no perversion. No perverts. No who have none who have been twisted and destroyed. Balaam says to Balak, he can't curse him, he can only bless them because there is no perversion in Israel. Then he makes, does something even more profound. Then he says, the Lord, his God is with him, with the people of Israel, the sons of Jacob. He says, the Lord, his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. He even prophesies way back in Numbers 23 and verse 21, that a Messiah, Jesus the Christ, would be born out of them. I can't curse them because it is through the blood of the people you're trying to curse that the God of the universe will send the Messiah. 
Let me tell you something. For those of us who are Adventists in these last days, there's a blessing on us. If like Israel of old, the shout of the king can still be heard in us. We have a message for the world. We are to be like Israel, conquering, going forth to conquer and conquering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Conquering how? With the gospel, by the blood of the lamb. And the world should look on us and say they can't be cursed. They can only be blessed. Why? Because there's the shout of the king. Which king? The king that is about to come riding back on a horse to come and get his own. The shout of a king ought to be among us as well. Their shout was for the first coming. Ours should be for the second coming of Jesus. Then something changes. Between Numbers 23 and Numbers 25, the story shifts. Listen to this. Numbers 25 and verse 1 says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. What? Verse two, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The Bible says that after Balaam said this thing, listen, we can't curse them. There's no iniquity. There's no perversion. The shadow of a king is among them. Just one, two chapters later, you land in Numbers 25 and all of a sudden, those righteous people, it's almost like a chapter's missing. What happened to them? How now are they committing whoredom with the daughters of Moab? In fact, the Bible says they call the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. The people that eat and bowed down to their gods. Now they're committing idolatry. In fact, by verse three, they have joined themselves with Baal Peor. And I don't, I won't go into it. I, I do it in some of my other sermons, but Baal Peor, the worship of Baal Peor was some of the most licentious and yet disgusting forms of worship ever known. They went from no perversion, no iniquity to complete perversion in bowing to this uh, uh, God around whom many sexual practices were used to worship him. Verse three says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. When God gets angry, he talks to Moses says, and the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. The leaders, the spirit of prophets tell us that those who were spearheading this and the leaders were brought in and that they were put to death and hung up. There's not many times in the Bible a story like this happens. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. So they went and they found the people who were joined to Baal Peor and they began to put them uh, put them down in order to show the, the, the how sinful the sin of sexual immorality and idolatry is. They began to try and purify the tribe again. In verse six, and behold, here's where the story gets really crazy. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Wow, so here's the thing. A plague hits, as you'll see in a second, 
The people are worried that they're going to be wiped out. The leaders of this spiritual rebellion are put to death by the judges at Moses' command. The people begin to flood around the tabernacle of the congregation, weeping before the door, asking God for forgiveness and to stay his hand against the pestilence, against the, 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 the pandemic that is beginning to strike them. And while they're doing this, one of the children of Israel went and got a woman. Snuck her in. The Bible says in verse 7 that um, he sneaks her, sneaks her in, puts her in his tent, and right in front of everybody else. Verse 7 says that when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation. He took a javelin in his hand, verse 8 says, and went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. And look at the last part here. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. A plague broke out amongst them. And it wasn't until this sin. Now here's the thing. This sin that was supposed to be a secret. He snuck this woman in while everyone else was, was, was repenting. But he did it and, and, and the leadership saw him. He was trying to hide his sin. Let me tell you something. You can't hide sin. There's no such thing as a no-tell motel. Because God sees it all. He tried to sneak in and hide this person inside. And while he was there, in the very act, Phinehas comes in and runs them through. The Bible says because he does this, tough story, the plague is stayed from off of Israel. Verse 9, and those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. 24,000 thousand people died. Remember we talked about uh, in Jerusalem when David numbered the people, 70,000 died in like two days, two and a half days. In this one, in a day, 24,000 people died. Bam, the plague hit. The questions that you have to ask yourself as a Christian are simple. Two questions. How did they, remember, if they were on this side of the Jordan by Jericho, they were ready to cross into the promised land. This was not the 40 years later when they would get back to this point. They could have gotten into the promised land within probably one year of leaving Egypt. There needed to be no 40 years in the wilderness. They were on the brink of the promised land. They, they had not been uh, uh, sentenced to 40 years of wandering yet. They could have marched in righteousness and claimed the heritage that God had promised Abraham. But because of sexual sin, they are stuck on the wrong side of the Jordan. How? How did Satan get so many to fall before reaching the promised land? Question number one. Question number two. Is Satan using the same tactics today on the last day remnant church? Is sexual sin the real plague? And this is why the title of this message is The Pandemic of Perversion. Because as we are all so worried about coronavirus, there's a deeper, darker pandemic on the world. It is a pandemic of sexual sin and immorality in rebellion against the God of the universe. So let's look at some stuff. Well, let's start with love. This slide is entitled Love on the Brain. There's researcher Lucy Brown. She's a professor of neurology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. She uses MRI studies 
machines to, to look at the brain and uh, she shows people pictures of people that are in love it and she found that when people who are madly in love think of their sweethearts many parts of the brain are activated but one thing all her study subjects had in common was an activation listen to this in a primitive part of the brain just above the brain stem people it's the, it's similar to the part of the brain that would light up if you got a shot of cocaine I hope you're hearing this it is a primitive, you know, the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White talks about the lower parts of the brain are what takes over when the flesh and the carnal nature is given way. And here, the science proves that, in fact, here at the lower part of the brain, I can show you on the slide here, um, when you look at it right here, this lower part of the brain is where uh, these things happen. It is the ventral tegmental area in the lower part of the brain. This is also a, some component of the reward pathway of the brain. So when people think they're in love, um, one of the things that happen is it is like being high. And what happens when you think you're high, one of the things that happen is there are parts of the prefrontal cortex, the reasoning part of the brain that are turned on. But what happens when you let lust and even romantic love, I, I don't want you to miss this. There's two separate things happening. Sex is one way to stimulate that lower part of the brain, but romantic love is the other one. And when these things happen, you turn off some of the reasoning centers in the prefrontal cortex of the mind. Isaiah 118, come let us reason together, says the Lord. So the devil always is looking for a way to turn off your reasoning. And what the devil knows is that love will cause you to do some real stupid stuff. I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Eve's over there talking to a snake, eating stuff she's not supposed to eat. And Adam, in his perfection, couldn't reason straight. Samson, the strongest man he ever lived, couldn't reason straight, lost his sight and his dignity. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, was perverted by the influence of sex and romance and love to the point where he destroyed his own legacy and, and the kingdom became divided just one generation later. And even David, a man after God's own heart, it is because of sensuality and sex and, and romance. He slips into sin with Bathsheba and brings curses upon the house of the king. We think we can control it when we're in love, but I want to argue with you that what the devil wants to do is make you blind with love so that he can lead you astray. And it's deep because when you combine physical intimacy with the feeling of being in romantic love, it is overpowering, the science suggests. Hence the reason God says, listen, wait until you have made a commitment. Wait until you're ready to be married. The spirit of prophecy says to, to pray 12 times as often before you get married so that you go in with a clear mind because the devil would love for you to marry the wrong person. He can make you miserable, rebellious, and cantankerous for the rest of your life all by having you fall in love with the wrong person. In fact, there's another professor, Helen Fisher out of Rutgers University who says, uh, she argues that romantic love, the drive is even stronger than the sex drive. And what a lot of people are doing when they think they're actually going into, into, um, into romantic relationships, 
um, what they're really doing is they're trying to use sex to bait and to and to and to and to figure out a way into the stronger drive. If the stronger drive is really romantic love, because what people want to feel is like they belong. They want to be a part of someone and something bigger than themselves. Romantic love offers that, but here's the problem: it is fickle at best. This is why, as you hear me say in my sermons, God made the human heart so big, only he can fill it. I don't care if you married the, the hottest hunk in Hollywood or the prettiest Hollywood starlet. Without God, they can all become annoying. It, it doesn't mean it's going to work. That's why the divorce rates are so high. Everybody's beautiful and rich, and still they can't get along in Hollywood. I challenge you that you have to understand that there are other things at play. And, and I talk about this in some of my sermons on intimacy and marriage, but, but I want to remind you that oxytocin plays a role in that oxytocin is the chemical that when man and woman come together, it binds them together. It's the same uh, hormone release when a mother is nursing her child. It, it bonds people together. It is released during intimacy in a greater level in some ways in men than in women, bonding the two people together. That's why the studies show those couples who have never had sex with anyone else, when they get married, they are the ones who have the, the strongest, happiest, longest marriages known. Because in the mind they are joined, and the scripture tells us the two become one flesh, that's not just physically, it is emotionally and spiritually, you're bonded. That's why you're not to just sleep around with anyone like the children of Israel began to do with Baal Peor. When you start to do that, you leave bits and pieces of yourself on all these people, and you allow them to leave bits and pieces of themselves on you. So when you go to get married now, Instead of the two of you going to get married like white sheets, the two of you go to get married looking more like tapestries, collages, like y'all just been all over the place. It's one of the reasons you get miserable and upset so fast. This is a statement, and it's, it's not just that. To, 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 to go to the text that we're about to go to, you also have to understand that there's a chemical also released in during sex called prolactin. It's, it's normally used to help a woman uh, nurse, but in sex, it also binds. But it also, when, when intimacy happens, it actually puts you to sleep, especially men are put to sleep. That's why Samson fell asleep on Delilah's lap. Prolactin levels are high in men after intimacy. And there's a spiritual warning to stay awake. Because if you're having sex outside of God's plan, the devil will use it to put you not just to physical sleep, but to spiritual sleep. You begin to, in fact, when, when, when prolactin, oxytocin, and another chemical, vasopressin, all are involved in intimacy and, and in the release that a man has during intimacy, uh, what happens is they trigger uh, melatonin and the body clock tells you to go to sleep. All of these things work together. This is how God designed it so that you could sleep. But in marriage, the sleep is a sleep of security. In the, in outside of marriage, that sleep is a sleep of scarcity. Because you never know if the next night you're going to have that security again. And then what happens is people spend the rest of their lives chasing, trying to find that level of security. Like the first hit of heroin, you spend the rest of your life trying to find satisfaction. And sex can never give satisfaction because your body is designed to reload and want more. And you never are fully satisfied. There are people who say there's no such thing as sex addiction or porn addiction. But the truth of the matter is it's pretty obvious that folk 
clearly become addicted to these things. So what does the Bible say? Romans chapter 13, verse 11 again. I'm going to read this through and I'm reading another version. Stay with me. And that knowing the time, Romans 13, 11, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. You're supposed to wake out of sleep. What is putting you to sleep? That Paul is telling the Romans, a very, uh, the book of Romans starts with Paul unraveling their sexual sin. What sleep are you in? He tells you, keep reading. He says, well, come out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. All 10 of the virgins in Jesus' parable were asleep. But you got to wake up out of it. The night is far spent, Paul says. The day is at hand. What day? The day of God's judgment, the day of the Christ's return. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We got to put on the armor of light. Then he says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Leave no room, he says, for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. The English Standard Version says it like this. And I don't normally use other versions, but this one is pretty, pretty good. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what happened to Israel? Could what happened to Israel happen to us in the last days? Well, here we go. Revelation 2, 13 and 14 speaks to it. And once you jump around in the Bible, you get to put together the information that tells you what actually happened. Revelation 2 and verse 13 says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou, and thou holdest fast my name and has, been, has, and has not denied my faith. But then he says to this church, but I have a few things against you. Because you have, you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat those things offered to idols and commit fornication. So what happened? Balaam, according to Revelation chapter 2, couldn't curse Israel. So he told Balak to bring in a stumbling block. What stumbling block? The stumbling block that was brought in it's fornication. Well, Numbers 31, 16 says it like this. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam. So who gave the counsel? Balaam did. Now you're getting the story. To trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. What happened? He gave counsel. His counsel was to send in women. Spirit of prophecy says to lure them to feasts and eventually seduce them into sin. Hosea 9, 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your, your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season, but they went to Baal Peor. He was ready. The scripture is telling you here, is Hosea 9, 10. He was ready to just let them into the promised land. They were the first fruits. God was ready to bless them. But they went to Baal Peor. Hosea 9.10, and they separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. 
That's what happened. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 8 gives you more information. It says, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. And in, in, in numbers, it says 24,000. Here it says 23,000. But you get the point. It's a connection of what Balaam did in order to seduce and convince them. He couldn't curse them when they were without iniquity and when they, there was no perverseness among them. The, the pandemic of perversion had to sweep in first. And when that perversion swept over them, now they could be cursed. Because the anger of God was upon them and his spirit began to withdraw from them. So the question then is, who's Balaam? today. Who's trying to convince those on the border of the promised land? Because let me tell you something, church, we are on the border of the promised land once again. Except this time it's not an earthly Canaan, it's the heavenly Canaan. It is the new Jerusalem. We are on the border of, of, of great things happening. We are right there. And so the devil is going to try to bring us down like he did the children of Israel of old through sexual sin. And while the world is worried about uh, the coronavirus, I want to submit to you that there is a worse pandemic in the world. So what have they done? Men like Kinsey, a researcher out of Indiana who... Uh, did experiments with children. And, 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 and of course, people like Hugh Hefner, um, there was a more Victorian approach and men were viewed to need to be sexually uh, pure and stable at one time in American history. Families were together and they began to seduce the men away. It wasn't, it wasn't women first. They simply made men begin to lust as they sold Playboy and penthouse books and, and, and all the way through today where the strip clubs are all the rage. If you can destroy the moral fiber of the man, you destroy the standing of the priest. So the families are without moral stamina or backbone. The churches begin to fill up with women. And all of a sudden, the house of God that the devil can't curse basically rejects God and protection is removed. How do they do it today? Well, entertainment. Here's a quote. Um, this is preliminary analysis from data from 2016 Indiana University. Um, there was some research that was done and researchers long established that teens who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. This is not connected to the 2016. I mixed that up, but here, here's the study. A 2012 study shows that movies influence teen sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. The study published in Psychological Science found that the more teens were exposed to sexual content in movies, the earlier they started having sex and the likelier they were to have casual, unprotected sex. In other words, the Balaam of today is Hollywood. If you introduce young people to sexual contact at an early age, they are far more likely, and this is not a Christian study from a Christian journal, but this study says they are more likely to go into sexual sin and, and not just go into sexual sin, but into risky sexual sin, not even using protection. How do they do it? Well, technology assists. There's our website, Tinder and Ashley Madison. Now people can have random um, um, anonymous sex. Um, and this is driving some other things that we're going to talk about in a second. The idea that you should be able to just do whatever you want sexually is not a biblical thing. 
And of course, one of the major ways now is that they have thrown pornography at our children. Um, there are men who are upset. They have been raised on pornography and now can't find happiness in their marriage. But look at this. This is from a, um, from a, from a Pornhub. They said in its annual review of how people around the world watch pornography, Pornhub claimed that nearly 92 billion videos were watched over the course of 23 billion visits to the site. Billions are watching this. While we're worried about this virus, I want to submit to you that the virus of pornography and perversion is far more um, prevalent in our society. And yet we shut down the movie theaters. We shut down the casinos. We shut down even the, even the, even the nightclubs and the strip clubs over this thing. But we don't understand that we've shut all this down over a virus, but we allow all of it to exist when it spreads the contagion of perversion. So how does pornography really affect a young man? Well, it affects through the hypothalamus, a part of the brain. It activates the testicles to secrete testosterone. Um, and sexually explicit material, SEM, crafts a brain that is constantly generating testosterone and heightened sexual desire. That was published by Struthers in 2009. Instead of allowing boys to focus on school, sports, and music, sexually explicit material causes a ramped up sex drive where their minds are inundated with sexual thoughts like Baal Peor. Why do so many young men, they, don't, they, don't, they can't sit still in church? And I wish I could say this was just young men. When we do purity conferences, it's not just young men who come down front and say that they have pornography addictions or, or problems with masturbation. It's young women who come down as well. The minds are being bathed. So, so look at this. This is, um, this is one of the famous um, football players um, this is Terry Crews, who you see on TV all the time now. And this is, his, this is what he says about this. He says, pornography changes the way you think about people. People become objects. People become body parts. They become things to be used rather than people to be loved. Pornography is an intimacy killer. It kills all intimacy. Every time I watched it, he says, I was walled off. It's like another brick that came between me and my wife. I didn't want to be this way. I didn't want to continue to do the things that hurt my wife, that hurt my family. He wrote a book, he, and I believe he's a Christian. He wrote a book, Manhood, How to Be a Better Man or Just Live with One. Uh, he shares his battle with pornography and a, uh, pornography addiction and how it damaged and hurt his marriage. But not just him. This is Russell, uh, Russell Crowe. There's his last name, Russell Crowe. And he is a um, famous Hollywood guy as well. And this is what he says. And I don't think he's a Christian at all. But listen to what he says. He says, I know that pornography is wrong. I shouldn't be looking at it. There's a general feeling, isn't there, in your core, if you look at pornography, that this isn't uh, what's the best thing for me to do. I feel like I had total dominion over myself. I feel like if, if I had total dominion over myself, I would never look at pornography again. That's addiction. One day at a time, I would kick it out of my life. This whole cloud of pornographic information and even soft culture, cultural smog is making it impossible for us to relate to our own sexuality, our own psychology. That's what a Hollywood movie star says about pornography. He used to be married to Katy Perry um, and, and, you know, and he was in movies and this man says pornography was one of the things that really was damaging to his life. And what happens is, just like the children of Israel, it, all of this perversion breeds 
different types of epidemics and diseases. According to a new report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there were nearly 2.4 million cases of chlamydia, uh, gonorrhea, and syphilis in 2018. This is the highest cumulative number ever recorded. You want to know if things are changing and if we're getting worse? These are diseases that are, one, e relatively easily prevented. The fact that they're climbing like this says, it's not that's just that people, and especially young people, are engaging in sex outside of God's plan. They're not even following society's mandate to wear protection when they do. So these diseases are running and spreading like crazy. Look at this. This figure blew my mind. We're worried about the coronavirus. Look at this one. The genital herpes infection is common in the United States. The CDC estimates that every year, 776,000 people, and that is not a typo, in the United States get new genital herpes infections. Almost a million people in the world. And it's not all by itself a super dangerous thing. There's some correlation to HPV and then cervical cancer, which can be deadly. And look at this. Um, pestilence and plague, it says here, one in two sexually active persons will, con will, con will contract an STI, or sexually transmitted infection, by age 25. One out of two. 50%. The CDC estimates that nearly 20 million new STIs occur every year in the United States, in, in this country. 20 million. Half of those are among those 15 to 24 years old. The CDC estimates that undiagnosed, undiagnosed sexually transmitted infections causes 24,000 women every year to become infertile. 24,000. The reason the devil goes after sex and intimacy the way he does is because every act of sex in the marital bed is a recognition of God's original plan and in that sense is an act of worship to God. Angels need not hide their face when sex is done in the manner prescribed by the creator. But if you're doing it outside of God's plan, the angels have to fold, cover their face and the demons can come into your bedroom. And if doing it is a form of like recognizing God and worshiping him, if you do it the right way, what happens when you do it the wrong way? Who are you worshiping? Who are you recognizing? The Bible says that any other sin you do, you do outside of your body. The sin of adultery, the sin of fornication, you do in your body. This is what Sister White says on this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 458. Satan well knows the material which he has to deal, which he has to deal in the human heart. He knows for he knows, for he has studied with fiendish intensity for thousands of years, the points most easily assailed in every character. And through successive generations, he has wrought to overthrow the strongest men, princes in Israel, by the same temptations that were so successful at Baal Peor. All along through the ages, there are strewn wrecks of character that have been stranded upon the rocks of sensual indulgence. As we approach the close of time, as the people of God stand upon the borders of the heavenly Canaan, Satan will, as of old, redouble his efforts to prevent them from entering the godly land, the goodly land. He lays his snares for every soul. It is not the ignorant and uncultured merely that need to be guarded. He will prepare his temptations for those in the highest positions, in the most holy office. If he can lead them to pollute their souls, he can through them destroy many, and he employs the same agents now as he employed 3,000 years ago by worldly friendships, by the charms of beauty. 
by pleasure-seeking, mirth, feasting, or the wine cup. He tempts to the violation of the seventh commandment. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 458. She then goes on and says, sensual indulgence weakens the mind and debases the soul. The moral and intellectual powers are benumbed and paralyzed by the gratification of the animal propensities. And it is impossible for the slave of passion to realize the sacred obligation of the law of God. It is impossible, she says, to realize the sacred obligation of the law of God. Sexual sin will lead you far away from God to appreciate the atonement or to place a right value upon the soul. Goodness, purity, and truth, reverence for God and love for sacred things, all those holy affections and, and noble desires that link men with the heavenly world are consumed in the fires of lust. The soul becomes a blackened and desolate waste. The habitation of the evil spirits the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Beings formed in the image of God are dragged down to a level with the brutes. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 458. 1 Corinthians 6 says it like this. Know ye not that the righteous, that the unrighteous, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And let me say something, if you're listening to, when you listen to this or watch this, if you read this like I read this, you might shake your head and say, you know, there's no hope for me. I've fallen sinned. I've made great mistakes in my life. You can look at this and say, I've reached Baal Peor and I, there's no way I'll ever get into the promised land. But let me tell you something. The plague was stayed. The children of Israel, as long as it took, they did get into the promised land. Paul says that if you do any of these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm glad the Bible verse, uh, the, the next Bible verse is in the scripture. 1 Corinthians six eleven says it like this. And such were some of you. That means you don't have to stay the way you are, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I, I, I want to end this message by encouraging you uh, as terrible as things are and as crazy as things have become, become that in fact, you need not worry. A just man falls seven times and rises every time. You can't outsin God's ability to save you. I don't care what you did in your past. If you're willing to come to him to cross the Jordan, the same Jordan where Jesus was baptized, cross the Jordan into the promised land. His blood will wash you. And he will sanctify you, justify you. By the name of the Lord Jesus, by the spirit of our God, you need not be worried about your past if you're willing to give God your future. Don't let the devil lead you into shame, regret, and remorse. I know you may have messed up like we, many of us have messed up, but I want to challenge you to leave all of that at the foot of the cross. Be washed in the blood of the lamb and understand that his blood still washes. It still cleanses. 
And God will not just wash you clean like he did for David after the sin he did with Bathsheba and her husband. God will forget your sin and he will remember it no more. He will cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. And I want you to, to realize that no matter how terrible the things you've done are, it is the devil who wants to constantly remind you he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what Satan means. He wants to accuse you and remind you of all that you've done. He wants to bring it back up. When the devil reminds you of your past, I want to empower you to remind him of his future. Because God's got a future for you in the heavenly kingdom. And we are again at the border of the promised land. And I want to challenge you to be serious as everybody's tucked inside fighting coronavirus. Don't let the devil win with the pandemic of perversion. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to set you free. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word once again. And I pray, Lord, that there may be some out there struggling with all kinds of sexual sin, all kinds of perversion, all kinds of difficulty, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would learn to not look down at their sin, but look up at Jesus Christ, to look up to you who paid it all for us. As we go into um, this weekend, Lord, Easter weekend, the world uh, thinks about you at this time again. But Lord, we know that what's powerful about this weekend is that you died on the cross. It reminds us that you died on the cross for our sin. And then on the third day, you got up and walked out of that grave, gaining victory over death in the grave. Lord, let us claim the promises that comes through the victory you got for us on the cross. And the sealed victory you gained when you walked out of that tomb. Help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' precious and holy name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.